Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. shits and giggles uh it was my parents fault i you know uh, although i i do find that it's actually convenient to have sort of an odd name it makes you stand out a little like people yeah. are like wait what and they remember so yeah that's i think great. ultimately worked out good <laughs> all right tell me let's start this off because what you do uh today is endlessly fascinating to me and uh, um and it's something i'm very excited about for my students and people that i work with because uh, games, a lot of what I've done over the last couple of years is train game artists, get game artists yeah. jobs. Uh, but it's a, you know, it's an inherently unstable industry. It's, it's inherently based on, um, you know, uh, how this, this threshold that's constantly shifting, constantly changing in terms of what you have to focus on. So sure. tell me what you do. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a really quick background on what, where I came from and then, yeah. then I'll, I'll explain what I do. Cool. Um, so, uh, originally from the Netherlands, uh, did a lot of game modding, eventually went to a, uh, to the NHTV, now the BUAS, uh, University of Supplied Sciences and studied game development. So I have a bachelor in engineering for that. Yeah. Um, got into proceduralism, uh, worked for, worked at side effects for about six months, uh, working on the Houdini engine. Right. Uh, with Ken Zhu and John Court and uh, Judith Crow, who are all wonderful people. Ah, um, I talked to Judith Crow just uh, a week ago. Oh yeah, she's ago. great. Um, yeah, um, and then so after that, went to EA, worked mm -hmm. uh, worked uh, in Burnaby for three and a half years, uh, like lots of like EA sports games, so like UFC, FIFA, um, and last the the latest game I worked on was uh, was Need for Speed, mm -hmm. and then I went to Apple for three and a half years. Um, and that was sort of like the first sort of departure from games. And I'll explain in a second why all this stuff happened. Um, and now I'm at applied intuition. And so what I do now is I do simulation for autonomous vehicles. And so specifically I create virtual environments that look as realistic as we can do within a real time budget. Right. And we, we have to generate them, um, basically automatically because we we you know we have to basically someone basically says okay i need you to build this section of some city in the world uh let's not name any names right. um and uh you know when when can you have this done now if you do this according to a typical game pipeline you know be like okay well, i'll get back to you in a year uh, obviously our clients can't work wait that long so we right. built this procedural pipeline to do this automatically um now to get back at what makes this so different from a video game pipeline is because first of all, there's a steady stream of work, right? Uh, you can always improve the systems. You can always make things better. Yeah. And there is always um, uh, a lot of a lot of new features that are being requested, um, but there isn't the typical, you know, pre-production production. production you know, release, and then everybody gets fired. Um, <laughs> but the real, the real thing that, that I'm actually, you know, motivated by isn't so much that cycle. Um, uh -huh. Like when I was at EA, we didn't really have that cycle either, for example, because they have all these teams that sort of interleave. 
Um, but what I'm excited by is the ability to, um, to actually have a positive impact on humanity, right? Mm. Like getting rid of uh, road crashes, like, you know, crashes on the road mm-hmm. um, where people, you know, like thousands of people die every single year by road crashes, especially people that are drunk, distracted driving, like all these problems that, that exist. And there's people that, you know, can't get around anymore because they're too old or because they have, uh, you know, maybe they have issues with their eyes or, you know, like, there's there's all these problems that can be solved um through this technology and i just feel you know super privileged that i am able to assist in doing something that interesting and that cool by basically making pretty images Mm. and i think on the lead up to this event uh i used this comment it's from uh it's applied intuition dot what's the I think it's URL dot com. For- uh, let me let me verify really quickly before I say something really dumb. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like, oh, you don't know the name of your company's. Uh... Uh, yeah, I think it's ipliedintuition.com. Yes, correct. It's appliedintuition.com. So in uh, in one of the presentations, I think uh, one of the papers for you, I think it might have been one of the eighty level things um, yeah. you do with Kirill. Uh, yeah, we just we just uh, we just actually like this is kind of coincidental. We've been yeah. working on this for a while, but we yeah. just have a new article out from AD Level, uh, which is if you're interested in this stuff at all, I highly encourage anyone to read it. Okay, cool. And in there, it showed how you built the um, the system, and so it showed the typical 3D, and then the typical 3D became like this beautiful 3D render at the yeah. end, you know, as opposed to just like some simple gray box. Um, so. Why do you have to make it pretty? So that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. So um, within simulation, there's sort of multiple levels that you can simulate. So uh, an autonomous car sort of works according to a four-step uh, process. So the first is perceive. So what is around me? Okay. Step two is predict. What am I presuming that these things are doing and going to do? Okay. After that, you plan... And then the last one is you perform, although typically they call it execute, but four P's I think is nicer. Um, But basically the idea is basically this, that these are sort of the four steps. And so the first step is I have, let's say a LIDAR, a LIDAR, I have a camera, I have ultrasonic sensors and I'm looking around and okay, great. You've got all these sensors, but at, at some point you have a system that needs to understand the world, right? It, it can't just, you know, so we've got these neural networks, which for example, you know, you show them a picture of a cat and it knows it's a cat. Now we sort of do the similar thing. We, we look for cars, we look for people, we look for, well, we typically don't actually, we just do the simulation part of this. I want to be clear, but our clients uh, would, would have these neural network algorithms. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, you, you can simulate these sections of the stack separately as well. So for example, you can, you can skip the perception bit and you can just say, well, these are my recognized actors, which are represented as boxes. Okay. And we're going to just simulate planning against this. So like, if you had the correct information, would you do the right thing? That's, that's one part that you can test, but it gets interesting when you have to deal with complicated problems like half a half obscured school bus. You can't quite like you can't 
you know, can you still recognize it? When do things start to become bad at being recognized? Or perhaps someone is crossing the crosswalk while the school bus is parked. Mm -hmm. And so there are things that you might want to check for. Um, there's a couple other reasons though, why you can use uh, synthetic data, uh, which, which is how we call it. So synthetic meaning um, basically generated uh, data. Um, yeah. The nice thing is, is that typically how neural networks are fed is through uh, basically a ton of people taking images and saying, this is a car and they outline the car, right? And they, they, they tag this, this is a car and this is a person and this is a tree and all these things. Mm -hmm. But you might imagine that, that that process is one, extremely costly, yeah. two, error prone, because it's easy for a person to not have seen a car, right? Like it's very hard to perfectly, pixel perfectly annotate I'm everything. I'm having trouble hearing you. Oh, thank, thanks Siri, that's, that's great. <laughs> uh, Apple, and that's Apple for you. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, you can imagine that there are imperfections in these yeah. uh, in these in these tags, and so there's a benefit to uh, having synthetic data, where you know every pixel is perfectly annotated every time. It allows you to, for example, test things more quickly. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, what if I, you know, I'm having some difficulty with, you know. I'm having this issue with this particular type of vehicle. What if we were to make it its own class so that the car can differentiate between these vehicles with that help? And, you know, you just say, okay, well, this vehicle is now a different tag, generate a hundred thousand images and, and you can do things with that. Right. Um, and then there's one final sort of benefit to synthetic data, which is there are situations that you can't safely perform in the real world. Right. Like if, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you get very close to like the safety drivers can never get close to a pedestrian. Why? Because that's dangerous. You won't, you don't want to do that. So you can have synthetic data add to the data sets of things that are rare, of things that are dangerous, of things that are in a different area where you may have never been. Mm -hmm. um, there's actually one more last one. Sorry. I just, like, this, there's a lot of stuff here. So I'm trying to like, uh, come at this. There's there's one more that's super useful, which is which is basically called um, validation. So, let's say you've trained your neural net your, your neural net system. Mm -hmm. How do you validate that it's actually doing what it's supposed to be doing? And so, you can use uh, synthetic data to basically say, okay, well, we're going to run you through the scenario and see how the whole system performs without ever leaving the building. So. Um, basically you, you can think of this as like a, a video game for for the system right so basically the, the the computer gets told to drive according to this track it gets fake camera data it gets fake lidar data it gets all the all the things that it would get in the real world mm -hmm. but the nice thing about it is is that it can respond to it and it'll get updated data so it's not like a playback it's it's really like responding to this behavior and it's and it's seeing it but the, the situation is in is absolutely controlled. So that means that we can test with the exact same input, how does the system perform? And so this is a huge cost saver because when you think about it, it's like, okay, I've made, you know, I've made some changes to my programming. Now I'm gonna, you know, compile that, put it on the car, inform my safety drivers, try and find scenarios where I can test it and then 
the scenarios aren't always exactly the same. So then you have to go like, well, did we actually fix it? Did we improve it? Did we make it better? Right. Whereas what we can do is you checked in your code, 10,000 tests run simultaneously. And in 15 minutes, you get a score that says, these things have improved. These things have gotten worse. These things have not changed. Um, and then based on that, you basically get like a much quicker response to your score. And so why do you need per, like good looking images? Mm -hmm. It's actually a really complicated question. How good do they need to be is a really complicated question. There are researchers that suggest that variation is actually more important than just quality. But if, it, if the things don't look like the real world, at a certain point, you also get to the question of like, well, are you, are you making an accurate prediction about what would happen in the real world if your mm -hmm. virtual world doesn't look like the real world? So we try and make things look as good as possible while still being performant. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, I think that pretty much covers it. Sorry, that was a long rant, but I think- It was, I think but it was, it was incredibly awesome. So here, for those of you who are just joining me here, if you're tuning into the Facebook Live, I have Frank, uh, Frank, sorry, you said Drake, <laughs> and then it went straight to, I have uh, Frank with me here, and um, from uh, Applied Intuition, and we're talking about neural networks, we're talking about uh, autonomous driving, and specifically his- career from game artist to uh what's your job title now um principal technical artist i think is sort of the te i mean senior technical artist um procedural technical artist i guess it's yeah you know we, we honestly um i am currently uh sort of the main technical artist at the company mm -hmm. uh so we haven't really put a specific title on it, but I think that's pretty much what it would be. That's great. Um, so for yeah. me, um, sorry to interrupt, for me, the, uh, the whole angle for me um, on understanding what you do is to connect with this idea that game arts has a bigger world attached to it. And what I heard you just say was that you have to make it beautiful because you have to make it real. And if you don't make it real, autonomous, this whole neural network that you program may not actually be connected to reality and not yeah. as accurate exactly so like something that we talk a lot about is called the domain gap um i haven't heard that term before what, what's that mean so the domain gap is uh, I'll, I'll i'll get to that in a second okay um, okay so neural nets are highly specific in what they train right uh -huh. if you train a neural network uh to recognize tigers for example and you you train it to recognize tigers cars and trees and you show it a cat it's gonna think it's a, it's it's it might actually like the cat it might not even classify as a tiger like mm -hmm. it neural nets are very are very effective within the in the, within the area in which they're trained as soon as something's outside that area uh -huh. you get crazy things so if you you know the very common one is the mnist uh, test so basically you show it a bunch of numbers and you train it to recognize these numbers, you show it uh, a letter, and it's going to be 99.8% sure that the letter B is, well, probably an eight, I guess, in this case. But let's say, let's pick something else that doesn't really make sense. Like if you get, if you give it the letter P, it'll be like, oh yeah, super confident that's a seven or a four. Uh -huh. And so neural networks don't know what they don't know. 
And so if you have, uh, so, so getting back to the domain gap. So if you have a synthetic image, so a fake image that, can, you know, that, that exists, it's very easy for a neural net to get confused by that image, even though we can tell what it is. Right. Um, and, and just to sort of take a step back from that is we're very good at generalizing what something is. Like we understand what the function of it is and then we can look at a cartoon version of someone mm -hmm. and still recognize them, right? Like a specific person, even though their features don't look anything like what they are in real life. We've exaggerated features, we, you know, or, or in general, like if you, if you see a, a child's drawing of a cat and it really has kind of five legs, but I can tell it's a cat, right? I mean, right. We, we mostly try and be nice about this. So, um, but, but a computer, wouldn't understand that at all it wouldn't make the connection oh this is a drawing of a cat it would just be like i don't know it's a helicopter i guess that's you know my my neural network sees something that might be a helicopter so the domain gap specifically pertains to the difference in quality and the and the the quality of results of the neural network in a virtual like in virtual data and real data and so basically this means is that if I train a neural network on real data and I then give it synthetic data, how, what, like how similar are my results? Mm. So if I show it a fake model, like let's say I show it a fake model S and I have it trained on a real model S, like how close do those two uh, categorizations match? Got it. And so this is actually a pretty complicated problem and it shows actually sort of a weakness in current neural nets because if you, you know, if I give you an older racing game, let's say it's an older need for speed, let's say it's 10 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, you can be like, oh yeah, that's a Porsche. Sure. I could, I mean, it's an ugly Porsche, right? Like it doesn't look that great, no but I can tell it's a Porsche. I can yeah. see what it is. It's a car, clearly. Yeah. Whereas a neural network may not have that same response it, it may it may have a harder time because it looks for very specific features and so this is a portion of this is on neural networks to become more general but it also is a huge portion on us to vow and to make sure that our data is good enough that it doesn't really impact the the quality of what the the neural network sees um, and so this is actually what's really interesting about this is that if you mix real data with synthetic data, then you can actually reduce its bias on quote unquote, what is reality? And it can actually outperform. So this is huge. There's just, so, just, just sort of so to have this sink in. If I train a neural network on only real world, perfect photorealistic data, it performs okay. If I train it on only synthetic data, it'll probably perform slightly worse. If I train it on a mix of both, it'll probably do better than the initial result. And why is this? Because a neural net tends to do something called overfitting. So overfitting is, is that, um, like the previous example, if I've only ever seen numbers, I'm gonna presume everything is a number because that's all I know. So if I've only seen perfect reality and then something slightly off, it's gonna, it's going to behave weirdly, right? Like mm -hmm. it doesn't, it just doesn't know how to deal with it. 
So if you, if you have a bunch of synthetic data, especially synthetic data that is more varied than in the real world, then it doesn't learn to respond to those things anymore. So for example, a good example of this might be car paint colors, right? Okay. You tend to see car paint colors, mostly like gray, maybe some blue, red, yellow, maybe some green occasionally. But how often do you see a pink car? It's pretty rare, right? And so maybe the neural net learns to recognize shiny gray, blue, red objects very well, but like pink matte, a pink matte car doesn't know how to do it. It might not recognize it as a car, which is a huge deal, right? Like we might hit that car if it doesn't recognize it. Mm. So what can you do with synthetic data? I'm gonna generate cars, every color of the rainbow. I'm gonna give them every possible level of specularity and roughness. I'm gonna give it so many variations that it learns that color is not a good measure to figure out what is a car. Huh. Because that's, that's something that we sort of understand, right? Like what, yeah. whether it's a car or not, that's not dependent of the color, it's dependent of the shape and, right. and maybe where it is on the road. But a neural network only sees pixels. It only knows colors. And it's like, well, you know, 99% of color, cars are in these colors. So it's probably uh, one of these. So hmm. this, is where, this is where sort of that randomization becomes extremely important. And I, I think it's a really interesting field. And that's why there's this huge debate about how important is the domain gap? How important is photorealism in... Um, I personally fall on the side that is like photorealism is very important when you're doing validation and when you're doing training, you should be able to go from sort of almost like a cartoony view up to like a photorealistic view and have much more randomization than you have in the real world. So there's really sort of two, two sort of worlds to be created. One is for a training data set and one is for a validation data set. Mm. For the validation data set, things better look really good. Because <laughs> otherwise you're making a prediction about how it would perform in a cartoony world, which right. is not what we're testing. So it's almost like our bad drawings are part of us training ourselves on that overfit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, you're, you, you, you did a lot of sculpting, right? So mm -hmm. like what, what do, what do people, when, when people first open, uh, or let's, let's do it with drawing. It might be an easier example. Like when, when kids draw, First thing they do is they draw these massive eyes, yeah. huge, like a, a, a mouth that's too big, a nose that doesn't quite fit in. And then the head is too small. Forehead is like shrunk to here, yeah. right? There's <laughs> no happens. body. And so basically like what, what do kids look at? Well, it's hands and like head and like, mm. like face. Mm -hmm. And so as you get better at drawing and you learn to look and you learn to see, like really observe, you start training your perception and you start uh, like and it's, it's actually kind of an interesting view because it's sort of like that actually shows our personal bias right like right. that shows how our brains exaggerate features like for us like it's it's really like what you see you can't you can't trust what you see as you're as you're becoming a better artist you learn to be more objective and measure what you're seeing rather than just sort of what you know whatever your brain has filtered for you to to, to look at um, but I think it's the same with, with neural networks, right? Like they, they, uh, they, they have these biasing issues of what is more and less important. And, and as you train, they, they get better at 
at, at, at understanding these things. I, I hope that makes sense. I don't know. If it does. Sense. It does. I, I have a Tesla um, and I've seen it get better. I've seen it yeah. as the software updates come. I've seen it recognize, not recognize the stop signs. Right. Um, it recognizes yellow cones, you know, like definitely if it, if there's a yellow cone, it, it'll show me a yellow cone icon somewhere on there. So it's recognizing all these things. And, yep. uh, and that's fascinating. So I think maybe now what we should do is pull this back and be, um, and talk about like you as a creative, cause you're an artist. And, yep. uh, and so how did this journey unfold for you? Um, because, uh, we talked about your procedural, uh, focus. So you worked at side effects and worked with them and you did all of that stuff, but how did this unfold for you so that you actually left the game industry? Um, yeah. And, um, and I'll, I'll throw one more thing in there. You told me uh, math wasn't always like you didn't always love math, <laughs> yeah. and yet you're throwing around overfitting, you know, the domain gap, and uh, and we're talking about neural net, which is programming, basically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I, I want to put this out here first. Uh, so, like, if you're scared of math, that's okay. I was too. And I had a wonderful teacher. His name was Kim Hosens. He has a couple wonderful tutorials on the internet as well. He currently works at Ubisoft in Montreal. And, um, and uh, he forced me, like, you know, cane stick, just like, no, I'm not backing <laughs> down. You're going to learn this. I don't care how hard you think it is. Yeah, but I suck at math. You know, I write 50, you know, I write three, five instead of 53. Like, you know, I, I do dumb, I, I'm better than math. He's like, yeah, well, get better. Like, you know, he was, he was really nice. brutal about this. Yeah. And I am so thankful. Um, because the thing is, is what, what, what happens is yes, proceduralism is math and it's hard and all this stuff is, is, you know, it, it can be, it can be tricky to get into at first, but the power that you get, mm -hmm. like I generate a city in 20 minutes a city wow. like and it doesn't mean and i think this is the other thing like a lot of people think proceduralism is like randomness it is not randomness it is following like a, a procedure is according to procedures so according to rule sets and so you can control these rule sets and so this means that you can change these rule sets very quickly and so if someone's like oh well i'd like to have the uh, more uh, you know, I'd like to have more fences in here. And it's like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's bias it in that direction. So there is a lot of control with this. And uh, we're seeing a lot more acceptance of proceduralism, especially due to like things like Substance Designer, mm. which is more artist friendly, I think, than Houdini is. Um, but, to, but to sort of get back at how I got here. Yeah. Um, so basically what happened is this is sort of a more traumatic story uh i was in my university i was doing pretty well i was doing my internship at the time and i got i got hit in the head really hard and what ultimately happened was is i lost a lot of my memory it was a pretty traumatic experience um not going to go through all the details here but at some point i realized it took a while before i realized that i'd forgotten all these things motor control my vision had gone like this and a lot of problems not great and uh the thing the thing that ultimately happened is uh, you know i tried to keep going it didn't work and um 
I ran into a friend of mine and she was like, Hey, you haven't spoken to me in a while. And I was like, wait, who are you? You know, uh, not great. She took my phone, showed me some pictures of her. And I was like, yeah, I guess I do know you. This is quite unsettling. Depression. So, um, you know, really, really rough time. My parents were amazing. My study mates were amazing. You know, I broke down, cried. And, uh, and my study mates hugged me and my parents said, okay, this is it. Yank. So they yanked me, sent me to New Zealand for two months. And where, where I have my uncle live, no computer, no nothing. All right, great. I felt a lot better after that, came back. And then I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? Right. Cause I'm a, I'm a video game developer. Um, you know, I, I used to do level design. So, I, you know, I think I'll do that. And then came close and said, Hey, you were, you're pretty decent at this Houdini thing. When I gave you a class, and I'm like, Oh my God, no math. He's like, look, you want to prove to yourself that you're good at something still? prove it. I was like, okay, challenge accepted. Let's go. <laughs> so, you know, I, I did this thing and I made this like procedural railroad thing. If everyone, if anyone's interested, uh, you can go to my website, freak 3d. So that's F R E E K. Yes. I know that it's funny. F R E E K 3d.com. Stop calling me. Um, and, uh, basically there's a, there's a, there's a paper that I wrote on how I did this. So it's like a procedural railroad system. You, you, you take lines, you put them through each other and, and mm -hmm. it, it sort of like makes a whole railroad and junctions and everything that you can think of. Um, so it was pretty good. And then after that, I was like, okay, great. Now I'm going to graduate in level design. And again, my wonderful teacher said, the hell you are, you're going to do this because you're really freaking good at it. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. It feels kind of unsafe. I just want to do this. And he's like, I don't care. You're doing this. And I'm like, you can't force me. And he's like, I don't care. I'm going to break the law and I'm just going to do it. So he forced me. And one of my other teachers says like, look, I know you're angry, but let's look at this objectively. Has he ever, has he ever sent you down the wrong path? Has he ever led you astray? No. Do you trust us? Yes. Then do it. So long story short, I made this procedural level generator, which basically placed all these things. And this was hard. Like there was a lot of math here. And I talked to a lot of the programmers around me to help me explain this math. But honestly, it's not as much math as it's logic. Like a ton of this is like, how would I model this by hand? How can I codify these steps? How can mm -hmm. I walk? Like what are the sets of steps that I would take to get here? And then how can I create a system that uses those, like that makes those into rules? It's like, you know, okay, I'm gonna extrude this, then the, the faces that I just newly made, I'm gonna do this thing too. And so when you start sort of thinking in that way, it's like, well, what is the logic here? It's not so bad. And then sometimes you have to explain those rules in math, but like nine out of 10 times, it's really not that bad. And what's gonna happen is, Houdini has this wonderful way of, of showing you math. It's images, right? It's, it's a visual thing. And so when mm. you're looking at it, once, mm. you, once you get through that sour apple, suddenly you can see how the math works and you get an intuitive understanding of that math. And that made a huge difference for me because again, like I have dyslexia, I have, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I have dyscalculi, which basically means I, I mix up numbers all the time. Yeah. So you give me a formula, I don't know what to do with that. Right. But if you, if you 
you know, if you ask me, how do you generate a tree? And I'm like, okay, well, how do trees work? Let's think about this. Okay, well, you put the seed in the ground, the seed's gonna grow upwards where the light is. So basically we're gonna send a particle up that's gonna search light. And at some point it splits and it makes two particles. And they're gonna go away from each, like they, they sort of shadow each other, right? So I wanna sort of have them push away from each other and search light. Maybe I can create like a volume of light and subtract light away from the areas where where sort of where, where leaves are, right? So when you start thinking of like how does this work in real mm. life, you can start codifying these rules. And like right. usually it's addition, subtraction, multiplication. Right. That's 80% of what I do. It's really not that hard. Yes. And then there's some vector math. But it's but really mostly about getting through those rules. Mostly you're you're like you're using specific functions and then multiplying and dividing within it, like go this direction, split this way, send your rays. Right. And, and and nine out of ten times it's like, you know, find me the closest surface or something. Right. right? Like or, or measure how high you are above something. And it's just right. a ray node that says measure distance or project yourself onto the ground or you know, take take a curve and sweep this shape along it to make a road, right? right. Like it's really not as scary as it seems. It's just, it's just, you just got to sort of bite through that pain. And then there's the sort of other aspects where I'm just going to like flex back. So how did I get from games? Because that, so that's how I got into like side effects, right? So I right. did this like procedural level thing. And then I went to electronic arts with the demo that I did. And I, I worked with Caleb Howard, who is amazing. And then at some point I was trying to hire a friend of mine, Kevin, uh, Kevin McNamara is a brilliant guy. And uh, he ended up going to Apple and then hiring me instead. And I was like, well, I guess that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's okay. You can, we'll, we'll do it that way then. But that's really where it sort of interested me because when Apple approached me, my initial response was, I'm not a programmer. Mm -hmm. You got it wrong, right? And so I was at SIGGRAPH and I taught, you know, they, they contacted me and I'm like, well, it's not really for me. I mean, I appreciate it. Thank you. But it's, you know, you, you misunderstood. That's not, it's not what I do. I'm a tech artist. I'm not a programmer. Right. And I mean, what am I going to work on? Air, you know, iPhone, I, I, yeah. you know, it's just not that interesting to me. I don't want to do, you know, transitions in, in iTunes or something. I'm just not that interested. And then three months later, the guy who I'm trying to recruit goes to Apple. I'm like, he does similar stuff as I do. What's going on over there? Like he clearly, he's better at listening. Um, so I was like, okay, that's interesting. And so we, we talked and uh, the next graph, he's like, yeah, you really need to talk to us. And so um, talked again and, and sort of was like, well, do you want to do something that actually like improves lives? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds kind of neat. I'm like, and so, and so for me, there was, there was a portion of this that wasn't like, there was a portion of this that is, you know, getting away from the games industry, but that really wasn't the key for me. For me, the mm -hmm. key is really helping people. Mm. And then with applied intuition, that's like to the next level, right? Like we're talking like actually saving lives. And I think that's the thing too, like this business outside of games is huge. And the potential for human benefit is massive, right? There's, let's say, like something that we don't do, but like medical simulation, mm -hmm. right? There's, there's wonderful people that do really cool stuff with, you know, training, training surgeons, 
And I don't mean surgeon simulator. I mean like actual, like, you know, solid, like surgeons. If you haven't heard of surgeon simulator, I suggest you Google it. It's hilarious, uh, but it's not very serious, but, um, but it's, you know, it's a really interesting field. Like you could, you could tr help NASA put something on Mars. You can help people cure cancer. You can help people, uh, you know, get trained in how to do medical, medical stuff. You can uh, create, you know, help create drones that find people that are lost at sea. Like, I mean, the, the potential for the things where you could help with is just, for me, incredibly compelling. How, how, if you can paint that picture a little bit more for me, because I understand the games, I understand Houdini and proceduralism. I get the I drone, modeling the drone. I get what you're doing, building um, environments. What about when we talk the medical cancer, we talk about how can tech artists, and are we only talking tech artists or? No, no, absolutely not. Like this is, this is super spread. By the way, we are hiring. I just, I'm putting that out there. Uh, uh, um, got it. Applied intuitions hiring guys. Go to our careers page, cool stuff there. Um, so we're hiring rendering people, we're hiring pipeline people, Houdini Whoa. people, okay. or just traditional artists, uh, people that do user experience design. Like, mm. you know, if you're, if you're all interested in the space, look us up and, and check it out. But um, so how, how, you know, how can you help? I think, I think it's, it's an incredibly diverse answer, like that it, it's, it's too diverse to answer almost, but I'm going to mm -hmm. give it my best shot. So let's, let's say you are a, uh, let's say you're an artist, like a traditional normal artist, and you join one of these sim companies, what could you be doing? Like, let's say, let's do, let's do a surgery example, mm -hmm. right? Open heart, or let's say, let's do like a stint surgery for a heart, right? Sure. Yep. How, how, you can't practice that. Right. Like, it's super hard to practice these things. And so if you can do that, in a very realistic way without endangering patients, because that's what happens right now, right? Like you have a doctor who's literally, you know, he's, he's there with a senior doctor who's done this before, right? A senior surgeon and a junior surgeon. And at some point the junior, like the senior surgeon goes, well, I guess this is your first try. Hope it works out. And he's there to supervise. But imagine like being able to at least practice a couple times before then in the computer, right? Mm -hmm. Or new techniques. If there's a new way of doing things, you can, you, can, you can explain these techniques to a doctor without them having to try it for the first time on a patient. And so what would you do as an artist? Well, you might model the, the arteries, right? Like that's, you know, a texturing and modeling job. Um, what if you're, what if you're a rendering engineer, there's a wonderful wonder. It's, it's kind of nasty, honestly, but it's amazing. Um, there was a wonderful presentation. I, this was at, um, uh, SIGGRAPH last year, no, the year before where they were doing, again, I apologize, a colonoscopy <laughs> and they were like, they were like, they had this wall that you would go through and it would react. So it would actually, the pressure would push against these soft tissues and it would deform. And so that's like, that's a really hard thing to write, right? It's like basically a finite element simulation that's happening mm -hmm. there. And they were doing it on a mobile phone. Like we're not talking second rate Whoa. people. Like it's, it, the, these are good people. This year they did a similar one where they had an X-ray view where you can do like live MRIs 
and they would introduce, I think, like a tumor or like some other thing. And artists, and and then like basically the the um, the, the the doctors would train and be graded against how well they're doing. And they're sort of like looking at this MRI data, and they mm -hmm. can like, you know, inject. Uh, contrast fluid and it goes through and like if they're if they're doing that at the right times they can see something and if they're doing it at the wrong times they can't and so again like there's there's a fluid simulation that's basically happening in there and so there's like i mean i don't know the exact details of this product i mean I, i'm not yeah. too involved but like we're talking like simulation people rendering people uh pipelining people um tech art for especially like especially if you need to generate Let's say if you wanted to generate a thousand random bodies, right? Like you wouldn't do that by hand. So that might be more like a procedural tech artist role. Mm -hmm. But there's tons of stuff with where normal artists uh, come in, right? Like, for example, if you someone needs to model the cards, someone needs to make, you know, the, the trees that I place. Um, we don't grow every tree randomly. Uh, we could, but at a certain point, uh, you know, I have only so much time. So we, we sort of balance around. Um, but there are things that are just, you know, like, I don't know, let's say it's a, a traffic cone. I don't need a procedural traffic cone generator. I just need a traffic cone. So right. you can have a traditional artist go out, do photogrammetry, and we place that traffic cone. And I think that's fine. But yeah, realistically, like, the production is very similar to a game. There's, mm -hmm. the, the main difference is, is that we need to make things more procedural than in a game and we don't do quite as much art direction because the art direction is make it look like real life like there there's not as much like well i'd like that window to be a little bit more to the left like right. it has to look real and plausible and it has to make sense but it isn't like where someone goes in and does a concept art of how the city's gonna look so there are differences but aside from that, it's, it's really very analogous, I think. Mm. I, I hope I answered that question. But. You did. Um, and it's, it kind of, um, all right, so there's a lot of things that I want to kind of unpack on that. Uh, why don't we start with this? What did you do when you joined Apple? Were you working on iPhones? No, uh, I, I can't say too much. The oh, exact sentence enough. that the, uh, that the lawyers have said is that I worked on the, creation the on simulation technologies for the creation verification and validation of machine learning technologies Fair that is enough. the sentence i'm allowed to say and nothing else um <laughs> that's awesome. yeah it's, it's this is, hey we're right. talking about apple i mean it gotta be careful there. i don't want to get sued um but what i can tell you is is that it's very interesting and i also know that there's a lot of other big tech companies they're doing similar things like this. And so sometimes like, don't, don't do what I did, right? Like when I first got approached by Apple, I was like, this is not for me. Look, these are smart people. They know what they're looking for, right? Like they know what the kind of skills they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so take these things seriously. And, and also like when you've got these new companies like Applied Intuition, when they knocked on my door, um, I'm like, ah, I don't know, startups, is that is that a thing for me? Startups, it's, I, you know, I'm pretty comfortable here. Um, do I want to consider that? And ultimately, yeah, you know, start talking to these people and they're really smart people, like 
really smart. Like tons of people with, with PhDs and like in, like in completely different fields than my own. And so, you know, don't, like don't over confine yourself. Like you like games. I love games. I love making games. I still, I still occasionally do the global game jam. I, I, I love games, but I love games more that I don't work in them anymore. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's like in a way it's actually like really freeing. And, and so, so take these companies seriously, like look at, look at them with fresh eyes. Like don't just immediately dismiss it because mm oh, well, I only do movies. I can't do games. I see that a lot too. Like right. movies, games. I mean, yes, there are differences, but you can learn those differences. And within a reasonable amount of time, if you're a good artist or if you're, you know, a skilled programmer, you could work in both. And why would you confine yourself to one? Look at where your best opportunities are and look at what you find most interesting. And I think change is just incredibly good at, for you as an artist to grow in general. What do you like about working in, at a startup? Um, so this is the first startup I've worked in. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I can only speak about applied intuition in this case. Yeah. Um, but compared to big companies, what I really like is the ability to just make decisions, right? Like in big companies, what tends to happen is like, okay, uh, we need to add this feature. Okay, let's have a meeting. Let's talk about it. Okay, well, who's going to manage it? Blah, 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 blah. For us, it's very simple. Okay, well, who needs this feature the most? Okay, well, you're leading this effort. Figure it out. Go. And that's it. Like, there's very few meetings, and the meetings that happen are about technical things, really, only. It's like, okay, well, how are we going to model, I don't know, the, the rear bumpers on these vehicles? Or, like, how are we going to make a license plate system that allows you to swap license plates? Right. Like, so we have an infinite amount of license plates. So, again, we don't want the computer to overfit and only recognize things with this specific license plate right like these are mm. the things and so okay how are we going to build that system we figure that out and then i build it and i get uh, one of my colleagues chris nolan to maybe build me uh, a texture that has a bunch of letters on them and a bunch of numbers on them and so we can like randomly do stuff and so we figure out we have a meeting that says how are we gonna how are we gonna make that how is that texture gonna be set up and we just do it. Uh, like the, re the reactiveness is just really, really fast. And in general, the amount of work you get done is just way higher. Like, and it's not just, and, and I want to make, I don't want to make, it, I want to make it clear. Like working for a big company is not bad at all. I loved working at EA. I really enjoyed working at Apple for a very long time. It's great for me. And I learned a lot and there's really, really qualified people in these big companies. But there's also sometimes times where it's really nice to not be in this big machine and just be able to do things your way. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really like the change. And for me, it worked out really well. I think I, it, innately, I'm a rebel, right? right. Apple <laughs> says they want rebels, but sometimes you know, <laughs> they want you to conform very specifically. And so for me, this works out pretty well, uh, but <laughs> that, that may be a personal thing. Uh, Fair enough. Again, like, yeah, I, again, I think this is something that people need to try for themselves. Work for a big company, do it, get the skills, right? Super mm. great, super great experience. Work for a small company, try it, see if you like it. Maybe you want to start your own company in a couple of years. Like it's, again, super good to just try these things. I, I yeah, I think that's, that's my perspective.
That makes sense. Um, and I know in startups, uh, you have to, you own the task basically. Mm -hmm. I know we talk a lot about owning, yeah. um, and yeah, um, it's, it's responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. It's, that's exactly what it is, right? Like in a big company, you see it when a task get, happens that no one wants like, well, you know, maybe he should own it. Maybe he should own it. That doesn't happen. It's like, like, okay, well, who needs this done? You. It's yours. Done. Yeah. It's, it's your responsibility now. And <laughs> it's their job to get it done. And they're, you know, I really like that. Like, and, and, and trust, right? There's a trust that comes with that because you are only going to hire people you personally trust to get to not make your life harder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're only going to hire people that you trust are going to get their stuff done. And everyone just has this innate level of trust and, and just it works really not just hard, but like, well, I think, I mean, I think yeah. that is a thing out of startup. You tend to work a little harder. You tend to work a couple more hours but I'm enjoying those hours and I'm seeing, I'm seeing the benefit. And yeah. I think that's also huge for me. That's good. So what is, um, we're at about an hour, so I want to make sure, um, I'm respectful of your time. Sure. The, uh, what does a technical artist need? Like if somebody wants to do this, uh, I, I think you and I, we were, we were talking about this earlier and how, uh, I talked to several Houdini people and, and mm. there is a glut of what, he called amateurs out on the market, which just means people yeah. who are playing with the software, but not necessarily developing, you know, full complete solutions. Um, so what does, if I want to go down this road and I want to be a technical artist, what do I need to do? What do I need to prove it, put in my portfolio and what kind of skill set should I be able to uh, talk about? Yeah. I think the first thing that if you want to get into this space, although this is simulations, yeah, I do not want to see fluid simulations. I just don't care. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't, it doesn't show me that you actually understand the software either because right. nowadays you click a couple buttons and you've got yeah. a fluid simulator or you have a piece of pyro and then, mm. you know, you're doing some parameters and maybe you add some couple fields, but it doesn't show me that you understand the, like what I want to see is that you do something that's complicated that, that you had to think about that, that is, uh, where you deconstructed it and made it into something else. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, like, I, I, I hesitate to give a concrete example because I don't okay. want people to, like, hone in on this one example. Um, but I think the main thing that I want to see is I want, you, I want you to solve problems. I want you to, to solve something that no one has solved before. Like, you know, go out and find a new way to do a plant simulator. I think a, a wonderful example that I saw recently was Anastasia Opara. Uh -huh. who did this wonderful, wonderful job of doing a, you know, a, a tree generator that actually like looks at the sugar levels, like how, like, oh, well, I don't have enough sugar here. So I need an extra leaf to generate. Like she, she did a wonderful job of, not doing the typical thing that everybody does, which is I'm going to build an L system and then I'm going to grow some trees. No, right. I'm going to go to the biology. I'm going to look and study for myself and uh. then come up with a novel technique on how to do this. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's, you know, whether you're building a city or whether you're building a, you know, a, a space simulator or like whatever it is, or like the inside of, inside of a human, like whatever it is, the, the fundamental skill set is 
playing around with geometry. So understanding what are points, what are vertices, mm -hmm. what are normals? Mm -hmm. How can I use and abuse them? Like, how can I use them for other stuff? Um, and then get to know some other types of geometry, nerves, you know, non-uniform, rational, Bezier splines, super, super useful things. If you haven't heard of them, look them up. Super cool. Volumes. Volumes are amazing. Like, you can just subtract and add shapes together and you can like, and then you can do amazing things with volumes that you can't do with polygons. Like, start looking into these different types of data. Like, mm -hmm. not everything is a triangle. Like there's a lot of interesting other stuff out there. Um, and so the fundamental skill for me is problem solving, right? Like I want to be able to hand you a problem and I need, I need to see that you can solve that problem. And for me, the only way to see that in a portfolio is by doing is by seeing someone do something that's different. Like in my day, it was a city generator, right? I made a city generator. Now I see a lot of city generators. That's there. not enough. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's great. Like that shows me you have some understanding, but there's also tutorials that show you how to do that. So I can't trust that you figured out something new. So if you're going to do a city generator, show me something in that city that is not from a tutorial that you came up with. That's a problem. Like maybe you're adding a traffic simulation layer on top. I recently saw a really cool uh, video uh, where someone had made, a little traffic simulator in Houdini and he'd figured out, okay, well, according to the lanes, this car is in front of me and it's going slower than me. So I need to slow down. That's, that's an interesting problem like, because we're not just dealing with geometry. Now we're using something that's actually like functional. Like I mm -hmm. have to understand like what's ahead of me, what's before. So how do I encode that into points and lines? See, that's, that's an interesting problem. So I, I when I see something like that, it gives me confidence that you've figured out, you've looked at a problem and you've solved, you, you did some creative original thinking and solved it. Um, so what do I wanna see in a portfolio really quick? Uh, make it your own, um, solve some technical problems, go beyond the typical procedural explosions and destruction and all that stuff. I mean, that's that's nice. That means you can, you know, I mean, that, there's a skill in that too. I don't want to diminish that. Like there's really, really skilled people that do that but for, for my job. It's not super relevant. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, a house generator is cool, but again, like make a house generator where there's something that you, you found a new way to control it, or you found a new way to that's smart to generate assets for it or something like it has to be, you know, it has to be more than a standard tutorial. Metastella has a wonderful, wonderful video, which is extremely blunt and perfectly to the point, which basically says, learning Houdini, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And what he's going on about is he sees all these, he goes through, like he's, he's a lead at, I think it's Animalogic. Anyway, it's a big effect yes. house. Yeah. And he's basically going through and he sees all these demo reels and all the demo reels are like, Oh, we've got a section from Entagma tutorials. Okay, now we're going into the video from Steve Knipping. And yeah. he sees the exact same thing every time. And basically, yeah. as he says, what you've demonstrated is that Steve Knipping is a wonderful teacher of Houdini. Mm -hmm. You haven't shown me that you're a good student. And I think that's really what I want people to take away. Um, 
ultimately, if I look for five, I, I sort of look for five things. I want an understanding of physically based rendering. I okay. want you to understand physics of light and matter. I want you to understand problems, like how to break down problems. Um, I like to see something that's like more traditional modeling because I do think that's like, you know, understanding of games and game engines, modeling, that kind of stuff. Shaders would like to see some sort of shader stuff and, and the ability to solve your own problems and make pipelines. I think those are sort of like, if you can do those things, yeah, you're an incredibly useful person. And, and that's not just for our industry. I think that's just like in general, like as soon as I started doing tech art, uh, I suddenly started getting paid, which is, <laughs> you know, this is a good thing. This is great. Yeah. La la last question I want to get on this is, um, what's the market like just to get people a sense of it? Because, uh, what we're talking about for some people, there's a fear of the math. Um, right. and you know, I went through that myself cause I'm, you know, similar to you in the background and the learning and all that. Yeah. Um, but I, when I started getting into rigging and some of that stuff, I realized that it, you know, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't all that, I mean, it wasn't like I was doing calculus. It was just, you know, certain operations. And then there were templates for me to do those operations. Um, so it was quite fascinating and it grew my capacity so much, but all of that done and said, what's the job market? Like what, what kind of, you know, cause if I want to be a game artist, you know, there's some period of times before somebody's going to hire me and a lot of some there's luck and there's all these other factors, but tech art has the programming angle. Does that improve my chances? And, and oh, just yeah. what's your thoughts on it? Uh, you want to get hired, get good at tech art. Like, uh, Google is hiring these people. Facebook is hiring these people. I get like three, four job offers a week, oh, a week, a week. Yeah. A week. On LinkedIn. I get, I get contacted about three, four times a week by someone who wants to hire me. Sometimes it's small companies. Sometimes it's big companies. Um, this is also why I'm saying like, like applied intuition, like there's like, there's a reason I went there. I had, I had options, right? Like I, I talked to um, another Silicon Valley car company mm -hmm. uh, and uh I ultimately did not go there. Um, but yeah, if you want to get hired, you want to get a job. The, the simple reason for this is like, I mean, how, like, why would someone want to hire you? Think about it from there. For, mm -hmm. What problems are you going to solve for me so much that I want to give you money, right? Right. right? The more problems you can solve and the fewer you create, the more hireable and more valuable of an asset you are. Hmm. Now, modelers are quite useful, but they, if, if you don't understand the rest of the pipeline, you have someone else who sometimes has to solve these problems for them, which means that a part of your modeler salary goes to whoever's solving those problems for you. So if you, un, if you get comfortable with the rest of that pipeline, this person doesn't need to solve your problems anymore which makes that person happy, which means feedback's gonna go positive, which means at some point you're probably going to get a raise. Um, and in general, the fact is, is that if you can, like, like I said, if you demonstrate the ability to solve, uh, to solve problems, like that, that makes you valuable to a mm -hmm. company, right? Especially like, you know, my skill set is, I can build a pretty much photorealistic city in 20 minutes. How many people can do that? Not many. 
okay, now I have a bunch of companies that have millions and millions, if not billions of dollars that is riding on the ability to test these cars safely. Now they can mm -hmm. hire a thousand artists to make that city or they can hire me. Okay. There's other people that they could hire too. So it's not like I'm going to make as much as a thousand artists would make, but I'm going to get paid more than those artists would make. Why? Because I'm moving 10 times, like a hundred, a thousand times the amount of work. Plus if they ever want to do a new city, I can do it in 20 minutes and it would take them a couple months, even though they're a thousand because you have diminishing returns as you, as you scale up. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get, I, you know, I don't just want to make this a money thing, but if you want to have job security, be useful. How do you be useful? Find ways to do more work. How do you find ways to do more work? Have the computer do it for you. Mm. Like, I think that's, I think that's sort of the direction I'm, I'm sort of trying to think about this. Mm -hmm. And so I'll tell you what the next, what the next big one is going to be. Because right now proceduralism is pretty big, but it's getting established, right? Like proceduralism is, you know, Ubisoft is big on it. EA is big on it. Like, you know, lots of companies are using it. The next it, one's it going was, to be- It was the blue ocean. Now it's transitioning, right? Getting yeah, it's, a little it's more standard now. Yeah. It's standard, right? I mean, it's not super standard, but it's becoming standard. Within the next couple of years, everyone's going to have procedural tools and it's just the way it's done. So how do you beat proceduralism? Well, neural networks are really cool. Hmm. Where do I learn about neural networks? Well, I go to a company that does, you know, simulation for them and I, 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 I study and I learn. So this is another thing what you can do is if you want to, if you want to stay competitive in a market, like I know that proceduralism at a certain point is going to be so such a commodity that, you know, at some point, some, junior kid who you know will take a lower paid job at some point might take my job so how do i stay ahead of the curve well where's 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 it going all right neural networks can generate vast amount of data right we can we can have a person generator an image generator currently mm. it's an image yeah but it wouldn't surprise me if in a couple of years they can generate a photorealistic 3d model of a human through that why not like why not? Right. So it's all a procedure. I mean, anybody who does texturing knows that texturing's procedure. Exactly. And so that's why I think, I, for example, I think substance is such a great product, right? Mm -hmm. And Quixel, Quixel Mixer is sort of similar as well. Like, yeah. It just, I think what it did is it made proceduralism easily accessible. Yeah. But now you're seeing things like, um, what is it called? I forget the name. I'm really sorry. I can't get to the name, but there's a, there's a neural network synthesis product that's sort of coming up. Artomatics. Okay. Artomatics is coming up and it's yeah. sort of like, uh, it's an interesting product. It's still in its infancy, but basically the idea being is like, well, instead of you having to create, you know, this whole network to generate, let's say uh, a brick pattern, give it a picture and it generates a tile and texture for you with the normal maps, roughness maps, the whole shebang. <laughs> and it's like that, I haven't right? Seen that. Yes. Nice. Yeah, it's super cool. It's super cool. I mean, this is in its infancy, right. but, and who knows, maybe it doesn't pan out. I don't know. I can't, you know, I can't really predict the future, but like, I'm trying to look like, okay, mm. how can I be more useful? Yeah. If that works 50% of the time, 
I became twice as useful. Right. That's awesome. I can so see that think, something like that working. The, I think that's the way to look at it. But yeah, if you want a job, getting a little technical, I think is extremely, extremely good for your prospects and it's good for your salary. It's good for your ability to stick around at a company as well. Like as, you know, as companies shrink and, and grow and shrink and grow, if you are, if you are embedded in the company, this is why I, for example, at EA, like sometimes they hire contractors and not contractors and okay, how do you transition from being a contractor to not a contractor is totally. be, is be so useful yeah. that they don't want to get rid of you. I get that. That's great. I mean, we just actually hired, we not hired, we got our first student hired by Apple uh, oh, today. And uh, <laughs> so he starts as a modeler right. and, uh, and the recruiter was telling them that they've used up all the talent in Silicon Valley. Like it's yeah. all the, all the art talents now gone. It's it, hiring people you're now stealing and it's, it's very aggressive. So they're yeah. looking outside to get all this art talent and they brought, you know, they looked at our guy and, and uh, it wasn't even his game art stuff that necessarily got them. That's what got their attention. And then they liked this, um, these simple kind of CAD like models and that he'd had on his portfolio too. And those were the triggers, yep. you know, and it was kind of fascinating that they've got this, there is this big demand growing in this area too. For sure. And, and I think that's the thing, right? And I, I, I see that growing, right? Like games, they grow, right? Because things always have to look better, but it's mm. somewhat matched by better tools every year. Right. But exactly. at a certain point, we're going to like, I mean, I don't want to say that augmented reality is going to become a huge thing or not. Like it might work, might not work. Right. But imagine just for, for an idea, like let's, let's say that it works. Suddenly you need a 3d content for every mm. object in the world. Yeah. Like, you know, that's, yeah. that is a huge, huge market like all of a sudden you've got you know all this content that needs to be created and you and and the amount of usage that it's getting is going to be similar to like apps right if you look mm -hmm. at the current uh the current uh space for apps there's like i don't know 15 million developers or something like, I, don't, I don't know what the numbers are i'm making those up but it's like yeah. it's millions it's millions of developers all across the globe doing this stuff now if they all suddenly start doing 3d AR content on glasses, they're all going to need modelers. They're all going to need tech artists. They're all going to need uh -huh. texturing art. Like mm -hmm. suddenly there's a lot of space. And so mm -hmm. I think it's a very useful thing to look at. Um, I'm excited about that. I'm, uh, have you, have you Googled uh, tiger on your iPhone now? It'll actually place depending on your iPhone, of course. Uh, it'll place it in the real world. Like it does the whole AR thing. So my kids were doing this and then next thing you know, I hear them screaming and I go and I look and at the phone is this tiger and they're moving around the tiger yeah. and then they're underneath looking at his privates, you know, <laughs> and just doing like weird, dumb kid right. stuff. Oh my God. It's hilarious. Yeah. But it's, yeah, I, yeah. But I think that's like one of those things, right? Like it starts out as sort of the gimmicky crazy yeah. things, yeah. but if it becomes a commodity, suddenly, you know, you could have 3D advertising on all these surfaces. And mm. I mean, I, I think that's just, I think there's, um, 
a large portion there. I think the other large portion is indeed like making training data for neural networks mm -hmm. and, and validation for neural networks. I, I think there's, there's space there. But the real way how you get in those industries is those industries need to move fast because you can't, like we were saying, right? If, if, we, if we get a map that we need to say, like, you know, I get an image on Google Maps, like I want this piece of the city. You, know, you can't do that with a traditional game pipeline. You know, we can't spend a year making San Francisco or like, what is it? I think, I think it took him, like, was it seven years to build uh, Grand Theft Auto Five? Oh my God. Like no one's yeah. gonna wait seven years for us to do that, right? Right. So, you, you, how do you, how do you get in there? Is you find ways to do that more quickly. Um, so yeah, but I, but I agree. I think it's a really interesting space, and I think more people should consider it, um, and awesome. they should, you know, contact me and potentially get hired. Awesome. <laughs> you heard it here. Appliedintuition.com. Or yep. uh, how do they find you? So how do they find me? So the first thing they do is they search F-R-E-E-K. So Freik Hoekstra, H-O-E-K-S-T-R-A. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably the easiest way. Um, you can go to my website. Um, there's not many people with my name. So pretty easy <laughs> to find. Uh, maybe we can leave a, maybe we can leave a link or something later in the description. I don't yeah, know I'll, put in, uh, I'll put it in the chat. That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, so there's, there's definitely like ways to find me. Um, but also don't be afraid to just go to our careers website. But also if anyone has like questions that they want to ask, like, you know, uh, ping me, send me an email. I'm happy to, I'm happy to answer wherever I can. Um, Are you on LinkedIn know. much if they ping you there? Yeah. Yeah. I tend to check it like uh, once every, once every other day or so. Yeah. Uh, not like, I'm not like, you know, refreshing for the power lights, user. But, uh, but aside from that, it's fine. Yeah. I use it fair amount. Freak, man, really great um, having this conversation with you. Awesome. Uh, I really appreciate this. Really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Um, I think like we're early in this move in the, in the market, but uh, yeah. I feel like this is like, this is a huge source of power for students. For sure. I think, I mean, just look at, look at what happened in Silicon Valley, right? Mm -hmm. Apple is saying they can't hire people. Apple, Apple can't hire people. Yeah. I mean, that should tell you how big <laughs> demand is and how short supply is. Yeah. Whenever there's short supply and high demand, that's good for whomever is in demand. So yes. get in there and, uh, you know, get, take your benefit. Um, I think, like I said, too many people did the same thing I did and get an email from Apple or get an email from, you know, these companies and just think, yeah, it's not for me. Talk to them. They might, they might find ways to incentivize you. Uh, you, you know, there's, there's, there's ways. Awesome. So yeah, check it out. And, and again, it is, it is a really interesting industry. It genuinely is interesting. It genuinely is fun to work in there. And you'll get to work with people who you'd never get to work with before. Mm. People that do neural networks, people that design car suspension systems, or maybe it's doctors with PhDs that, you know, there's so many other interesting fields out there. I, yeah, I think it's I'm super excited. Good. I'm excited. I mean, I see creative, I see, I mean, at, 
the way I look at it is technology has been growing, 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 but yeah. it's been missing this technology or this creative component, the yeah. visuals, the aesthetic, you know, and that, and they're coming together now. So it's like, it's exciting. I think it's super exciting and I totally agree. Uh, I think that's actually one of the things that made Apple do well is they were the first to ah, think about the aesthetics. Yeah. And so uh, I, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think it's an underexposed area and uh, it's set to grow. All right. Well, thank you Ooh. so much. Have an amazing day. And uh, thank you guys for joining. And leave a comment. Let me know if you have questions. Otherwise, I'll put a comment down below um, for you with all the links and information, and how you can get a hold of everybody. Have a great day. Awesome. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. It really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.